Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. All right, welcome to Life on Mars, another episode of the Mars Space Podcast. Here we talk technology and entrepreneurship and business and development and whatever you want. So I'm Alex, I'm the CEO and co-founder of this company, and I'm your host today. And as we announced in the previous episode of the podcast, we are coming back with a different mixed up kind of content and different episodes, and you will see more speakers, but also some speakers repeating more often because some of them have been really highly valued by our audience. And you have told us like, wow, I really learned from this person. I really learned from that person. I really liked it when this episode was with uh, with uh, Laura Gascon, for instance, she's come up like three times in the podcast or with Sergio Gago, people who are who were often in our podcast, maybe two, three, four times, maybe, um, which is not that much considering that we've got 36, 37 episodes in every feed of the podcast, but they will be coming more often. Because right now, as we announced in the previous episode, we'll be choosing the person that we want to interview, the person we want to host, directly linked to the subject or to the topic that we want to cover every week, right? So, you know, in this in th this week in particular, when we want to kick off this new season of, of Life on Mars, we want to bring you back some content because, because we have been requested a lot that we have also some other talks by other members of the company, right? And in particular, people want to know more about our CTO, Xavi, because he's not a very public person, but he likes to speak in front of the audiences. As a matter of fact, the conversation... We are bringing tonight is the uh, the the appearance of Xavi in our Subprime Tech Conference, when he was interviewed by Roger Verdalles, who who was at the time the chapter director of Startup Grind in Madrid, in a panel uh, with uh, Laura Gonzalez from um, from Shipstead, who was the responsible of people and recruitment at Shipstead, and in that panel. They conversed about having to hire remote people, right? remote developers, how to hire them, where to find them, how to manage them, career plans, and whatnot, right? What makes a difference between like a small company like Marsbase and a huge corporation like Shipstead, right? We thought that this contrast would be interesting. And that was one of the panels we had in, I think it was the last Tarot Grand Conference before we had to obviously postpone our yearly Startup Grind Barcelona conference, Startup Grind Tech conference, that we, we call it because it's more focused around tech. And we had to cancel our, you know, we, we had scheduled a fourth edition of the conference for May 2020. Of course, that had to be postponed to this year. And we decided, okay, let's just cancel it permanently for now. Let's see when things come back. And we hope that we'll be able to, to break it back. But I don't think, I'm not very positive that we'll be coming back with the conference next year because as I am recording this, it's mid-September. And in order to plan a conference like this, you need to have at least six months of preparation, right? And right now we are in a huge mess, so to speak. Uh, I explained that in our previous episode. 
Uh, we've got a lot of things going on, clients selling the company. We got uh, like a person just left the company. We got a couple on paternity leave. We got, we're, we're launching like three projects at the same time. We're starting a project with one um, super amazing top tier uh, football club. Uh, we we are renewing all the contracts with uh, with uh, with our clients and so on and so forth. So there's quite a lot of stuff to do. Our head headspace is not the one, the right one to organize a conference. Even less so if we don't know how we will be uh, in March or April next year, because right now there's a lot of restrictions in place. Right. That being said, actually, I'm usually the person who speaks in in in, in conferences and and in events and so on and so forth. But actually. Uh, Xavi has got a, a great points in this in this uh, video. You will notice it. I mean, as a CTO, I mean, he's it's his first job as a CTO. Uh, for those who don't know Xavi, he had been lead developer and 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 other engineering management roles in some consultancies in Barcelona. And we actually start more or less in the same kind of companies in some big, big four companies, and and then transition to other smaller companies where random trivia. Xavi and Jordi ended up working together. Jordi, who was the CTO of his previous company, hired Xavi as the lead developer of the company, right? Um, but it's his first role as a CTO. Of course, Xavi has uh, managed people before, has dealt with really big projects, has, uh, has managed uh, projects as big as in his previous company, he had to manage, uh, you know, national newspapers, some some um, some platforms for the Catalan government. I think he even went on to work for FC Barcelona in his previous company and so on and so forth. So he's very experienced and obviously, you know, the, the work that he's been doing at Mars Space in the seven and a half years. It's been phenomenal having worked for super big clients like Adnoc or Everest or uh, La Liga Professional de Football or Real Madrid or HP right now. So you name it, right? So these super big projects that require great architecture, scalability, and so on and so forth. It's all, you know, a product of Xavi's uh, mind and knowledge. Um, that was one thing that I wanted to point out. The other one is that we are, effectively speaking, going back to um, offline events for Startup Grind Barcelona. I mentioned that our conference is not coming back because uh, for those who you don't know it, we, do, we host a monthly event. Uh, in Barcelona, and uh, which will be going offline after 18 months, but we're not bringing back the conference. So there's there are two separate things, you know, the regular monthly event in which we uh, we interview somebody relevant in the world of the of startups and investment and 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 innovation, so on and so forth, and the conference where we have this one day and a half. Um, compound of a lot of different panels and fireside chats and even some keynotes in a bigger venue. We host up to a thousand people, but it happens once a year. This is not coming back anytime soon, but the monthly events, we're really excited about going back to them because we, you know, that's, we miss the people. We miss the community. Um, start brand in Mars space at least in Barcelona. They're super intertwined. We, you cannot explain one without the other. We've met some clients there. We've met some the developers there. We're also host and sponsor the, the event. So we are the company, effectively speaking, running the event. So, and we know that we're creating an impact in the ecosystem, right? We have introduced people who went on and co-founded companies. We have introduced startups to investors who ended up investing. I have been investing in some of the companies I've met through Startup Grind and so on and so forth, right? So we need to have this event back. 
after 18 months with the strictest measures and social distancing and, and masks and, you know, very limited networking and what have you. So it will be sort of a, like a watered down version of what we used to have. But of course, we kind of yet have events with 150 people, which is what we used to have in our regular events back in the day prior to, you know, February 2020 when it was our last event. Um, that, that being said, um, just a quick introduction as to what's been going on in our space. Remember that I said that for every episode right now, before we go into the content, there's going to be like a little bit of a longer intro to give more context about what we are working on, uh, what do we need, maybe things you ought to know, and maybe we'll be talking about our capacity or whether we're opening new roles for, you know, uh, for more developers and what have you, right? A couple of things that you need to know, first of all, is that we'll have some availability. So we're freeing up some developers earlier than expected. We're usually booked up for like four to six months because our clients work on retainer and we usually have got long-term contracts. But as I mentioned in the last episode, we uh, we decided to stop working for our biggest client. A couple of our clients are getting acquired and it's unclear as to whether we will be working for them or not any longer. And, uh, uh, you know, one project finished earlier than expected. So, And we also hired a few people this year, like three, four people. So if you have any project you want to send our way, happy to take a look. Usually we're looking for at least three months of engagement, then ongoing uh, contract for ongoing development for, for Ruby, for Angular, for Node.js, or for React, which are, are usually the, the kind of um, frameworks that we are using in our project. That's one thing. Another thing that's really cool, and I wanted to mention because uh, it's it's taken the company by storm, is this tool called Linear. Uh, none of us had ever heard of this tool. Basically, it's a project management tool that's it's got all the good things of task lists and project management tools and like uh, GitHub and Trello, so all these kind of like views, and it's pleasant to the eye, so it's not ugly or clunky like more corporate software. And it's taken the company so by storm that we have moved all of our projects to this in the span of two days, right? We're moving all of our project management there. We're moving HR, all the integrations we had uh, with Jira. And we're moving it there. We're, we're, you know, even the boards we have to, to manage the company, the founders or kind of like the more like the leadership team will be moved there. We're considering moving the, all the sales infrastructure and, and, and tech stack to also to Linear. Check it out. I mean, it's not a sponsor. It's a tool that we are super pleasantly surprised by. It's called Linear.app, Linear.app. Um, I haven't yet tested it myself. I want to have some first-hand impressions, but uh, Jordi, our CEO, fucking liked it, fucking loved it. We migrated pretty much everything in a couple of days. And it looks like that's the kind of tool that we really needed as a company in order to work internally with our clients. We still work with other tools with whatever they have, right? But it's funny because we, uh, it was one year ago that we migrated everything to Jira. Previously, we had been using other tools and like it was a combination of Basecamp and we have Harvest and Forecast. And uh, uh, for some projects, we're using uh, Trello because the client wanted so, or internally, we were using GitHub projects. And for one year, it was really good that we use uh, Jira. It's a really great tool. Uh, we love the improvement that we that Jira 
had you know undergone in the last several years because back in 2014 i remember it was like clunky and ugly and slow and and it was not well integrated and it seems that you know atlassian has profited from buying trello and learning a few things from startups and and product right it's been a great year but i think we have moved everything to linear right now i will be updating you on how this is going what else um one another another cool thing that we might be speaking about in the next in the next episodes is that we are auditing someone else's code. We did something that was really cool, and I think this uh, this can really be a, an, an extremely interesting content for uh, future podcast episodes. Is that whenever we go into a new project, I remember I told you last week that we were starting a project for a top tier football club, and for Americans, the right football, not yours. Um, jokes aside, uh, the one you play with the feet, not with the hands, because it's called football for a reason. Anyways, um, so back to topic is that we, you know, every time we go into a project that has been built by somebody else, be it in like internal team or an external provider and so on and so forth, we audit the code. That's one of the first things we do. I think that's something extremely positive and that everybody should do that because if you start working right away, you're going to encounter so many things that you're going to be held responsible for things that are entirely not your fault, right? So if the first thing you do, that's something we've done with this project because we've seen like lots of legacy code, uh, React and Ruby just mixing like the same files, uh, no clear distinction between model viewing controller. And uh, it looked like the previous provider of this project had learned React and by doing, and so you can see no, like no style guides, like so many things are messing this project. And we said, if we don't say anything, we start working right away, this is going to explode sometime soon. There's a time bomb project, right? So uh, even if the client really wanted us to hit the ground running, be really fast, start working, start producing, because the project has got several delays uh, prior to our involvement, we had to pause and say, like, look, this is what we found. I think it was a great move, and the client really liked, really appreciated it, that we came up with a list of things that were, like, really wrong, and they they posed threats to the project. They, 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 they would be incurring in very big risks if we had taken the projects. And I think that that creates some alignment between the client and us, and we will be able to come in the future and say, like, look, it, we're going to take so much longer in this feature because of these reasons we listed in the past, right? So no surprises later down the road. Um, here's what you need to know about the project. If you run an agency, if you're a freelancer, I really recommend that uh, you folks do this because it's really positive. Every time we do it, clients are pleasantly surprised. And even if we lost some time there that we should have spent perhaps developing, I think it's a great meet to long-term investment. And I think that's all. Um, that's everything I wanted to cover today. Um, I'll let you with the video. I hope you enjoy this conversation. We have been reusing some content from the past. We will not be doing this anymore because we're kind of like, it's not like we're running out of them, but we want to start with a new season. But I really wanted to bring up this episode because a, a, a few people said like, hey, we want to hear more from your co-founders. We want to hear from Xavi, uh, the CTO, especially because, you know, being a development company makes all the sense in the world. And I think it's also positive for us for hiring and for, you know, proving our expertise in certain topics like in this case, hiring and managing developers remotely. So I'll leave you with it. 
Let's go with the video. I want to. I wanted to to shoot the first question to to Shabby. Um, we have heard a lot about Mars base in the, in the last uh, day and a half, and I was wondering how such an amazing company is dealing with very specific details on 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 one specific process, which is hiring. How do you do that at, at Mars base? Well, our hiring strategy is an inbound hiring strategy. What we basically do is we have several sites, several, several um, platforms where we add our, where we post our job offers. But then what we really do is to put a lot of effort in content creation in our website, in our website and in our, in our, in our blog. Uh, what we do is to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort writing content that it's going to be useful uh, for our candidates to know us and to build trust with them. For example, we have uh, content explaining how do we work, what technologies do we use because we are a development agency. We also uh, speak about all the perks that our employees will, will receive working at Mars Base. We also explain all the activities, you know, the get-togethers that we do, that we do, that we do as a team, company retreats, our philosophy. That way, we are building trust with the employee, uh, well, with the candidate before of the of the interview itself. And this is a good way for us to attract talent and to seduce the candidates. And um, for now, it has worked pretty well to us. We haven't had any problem finding the the, the top talent in the in the in the areas that we, that we do at our company. I love that, it's, it's kind of a pre-training. If any of you guys is looking for a job, this is a good way to actually get to know the company way beforehand they, they yes. actually hire you. It's, it's kind of cool. Yes, I, like uh, I, I, I want to add that uh, all of our employees, of current employees, after speaking with them, they have said to us that uh, they have read at least a couple or three of our posts in our blog before even, um, you know, uh, applying for a job position at Mars Base, which is something that makes us very, very proud of, of our work. That's awesome. And we are like entering, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we have a, complete, a completely different sizes of companies here. And how, how is, uh, compared to what Mark just, uh, I'm sorry, Shabbat just said, is how different is uh, the managing on, on the hiring process. How do you do it? What is the first step on, on a big company like, like Ships? So we have more defined processes in terms of hiring. But, um, well, I need to mention, we are not hiring remote people in Ships. That makes a difference. Okay. But we are hiring remotely. And most of the times then we bring them over or we have diversified teams. It means that we have different people in different locations so we have four international hubs, which is Barcelona, London, Oslo, and Stockholm. And different teams have different people in different locations. The ideal is that people are as close as possible, and, and we enable them um, to get together, to do off-sites, to, to get on and off at least monthly together. But, um, so it's not the same as a remote setup. But it's true that we hire remotely most yeah. of the times, whenever they are too far away. And, um, and sometimes they are sitting in a different place than the same office together. Um, so in that sense, when having uh, an amazingly big uh, pipeline, you need to be extremely organized with your processes. So you have like more standardized processes, and then you train as well your interviewers so that actually all of us were following up pretty much the same methodology, and we tried to get the same 
data points, it's what we call in, in Shipstead. Um, in our interviews, we talk as well a lot about our, the culture that we have and how do we move together and how do we relate to each other even though we are sitting in different locations. Um, an excellent example actually is the recruitment team because up until now we were like two people in Barcelona, two, three people in London, uh, one or two people in Oslo and uh, one people in Stockholm. Oh. And this is the typically diversified team where we got together talking and then agreeing on uh, procedures so that all of us do the same thing in, in the different locations. That's awesome. First time you mentioned uh, uh, the diversified concept, I, I kind of fall in love. And I actually, uh, as I've been telling you, before I, I've been using the term, uh, I like it. Could you elaborate a little bit more on how those diversified teams mm-hmm. work at the very beginning on, on, okay. on ships? So, um, basically, we don't want to be limited to the location of the employees. So up until now, the idea was to hire wherever it was possible that we had an office. So shifts that was based in Oslo, and we had offices in Stockholm, so it made sense if we found the right person in the Norway and the Norwegian countries or Sweden or Denmark, then moving to Sweden, for instance, to be able to relocate them to those countries unless they wanted to go to any other place. Same with London. London has a potentiality of uh, tech people, for instance, extremely good. We didn't want to lose that opportunity of hiring amazing talent there. But said that, we have been hiring a lot in Ukraine, uh, Russia, for instance. And in those terms, regarding visas, we have been extremely flexible where they could uh, relocate easier or what could be interesting in, in, in working, right? That's awesome. Um, and this is for both of you. And one of the things uh, when hiring people and actually engaging in, in a, you know, um, teamwork kind of thing with, with people that is in different locations or, or they are completely distributed all over the planet. Uh, it comes to mind what happened with the culture of the company. How do you, how do you handle, uh, or not handle, culture is not something you handle, is how, how do you ensure that the whole company is aligned with the, the culture? Uh, what are your, your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, that um, the most important thing that you can do to maintain the company the company culture when you're working in remote environments is uh, leading by example. And this is what we do, what our managers at MassBase uh, does. This is the only way that we have found to make our employees uh, know what are the core values of the, of, the, of the company and apply them. And this is something that it starts with the decision-making process. Uh, the managers of Mars Base, once we need to take a decision, we have very clear the core principles of the company and we try to make decisions based on that. Uh, I will give an example of the early days of Mars Base. When we started the company, we used to work over time. We used to do a lot less of vacations than we are doing now because, you know, it's exciting, it's something new, you need to do it. But one of our core principles was that uh, we wanted to have a good balance between work and life and family. And what we found out was that uh, the employees on Mars Base were following what we were doing. They were doing less vacations than they should do. They were working over time. And this is very dangerous for a, for a remote team because they can get demotivated, they can get burnt out, and at the end, they will leave your company. And it's very difficult to find top talent in, in some places like like, like Barcelona or so many areas like tech companies. So uh, what we realized is that you not only need to have a good uh, company 
culture, uh, you know, uh, speech. Uh, company culture is not something that you can write in a document and share with your employees. It is something that you need to practice. You need to practice what you preach to your employees. That way, they will respect you, and they will do the, do the same and apply the same concepts while they are working, but also while they are communicating with your clients, which is what you really want, that everyone perceives you as the company that you are. Awesome. Let me, let me based, on, based on what just uh, Shari says, is, let me twist the question a little bit. Uh, aligning those, those values within the culture of a company, uh, it seems fairly easy when you can actually see each other face to face. But when you have these diversified teams, how, how do you manage uh, to maybe lead by example? But uh, how, how do you do that? How do you do in, in a company that is so spread out and, and, and probably working at different time zones with different schedules and different um, ways or, or lifestyles even. Um, what are the, the, the key features, the key traits you can put in place uh, to ensure that the culture is the one you want? I would say this is not a process that you put in place. I think it starts with hiring, actually. So whenever you are hiring, whenever you are evaluating the people that you are going to bring into your team, you're already assessing the kind of behaviors that you want yeah. and if you're aligning. So, both in couchsurfing, where I was um, working remotely for a long while and hiring remote people all over the, the world, actually, um, it was what kind of behaviors did they have, how they could align to the company, and how do you see uh, collaborating with these people. And these people that particularly put you a lot of problems or barriers or... Yeah, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, and, then, and they put blockers already, yeah. you sense problem already. You need to investigate on that area. And those people who are easygoing, adapting, so there's a lot of traits that you can figure out, right? Yeah. The way of communication, um, respect, for instance. So you are already aligning with your values, and then at the same time, you see potentiality to adopt the, the, the working culture, actually. This together with gathering together. So what I learned in Couchsurfing, I apply that in Shipstead, of course. And for me, it's basic when hiring to already look for the things, that, the traits that we need yeah. um, so that we can build on top of that. I like it. Uh, this reminds me a couple of things. Uh, we hosted uh, Ben Horowitz in, in, in our global conferences pretty often, by the way. And a couple of years ago, he, he was talking about cultural shifts and changes in, inside uh, the big, small, whatever size companies. And one of the things he, he mentioned is the way you make decisions is actually imprinting the culture way more than whatever perks you have. Hey, you have nice couches and you have free Wi-Fi or free lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those are perks. Those are not the kind of things that are defining culture, but the way you make decisions. And that is super powerful. And let me jump into a, actually uh, something we were talking about, I don't know if we, we can disclose this, about uh, gathering people together from time to time when you have these uh, teams working all over the place. Um, as much as you can disclose uh, about your last experience uh, with your, your team gathering, uh, how was the experience? How was the overall experience? How, how do you perceive that? How, how the team actually uh, work it out? Okay, yes, what, what we do at MarsBase, because we are a fully remote team, is to have get-togethers every two months. Every two months, we bring all the team to Barcelona. We met in a co-working space, and we work on company-related on company uh, projects, and we discuss what's, 
what things we can improve about, about the company itself. And this is a good opportunity to, to, to see people face to face and also to, to have this kind of um, relationship that can be missing in a, in a remote communication. Because uh, we need to know that uh, communicating in a remote way has its challenges. Because you are, sometimes you're lacking this verbal communication, sometimes uh, it, is, it, is, it is hard also to, to express what, what you are saying. People can feel alone in her workplaces, and having this kind of get-togethers helps you to, to have motivation boost. Also, what we do once a year also is a company retreat, which was something that it was suggested by one member of the team. It was not something that it was suggested by a manager at MassBase. It was one member of the team that uh, aligned with the, with the values of the company said, it will be very cool that every year we went to a place together and to be one week speaking about company-related stuff, how we can improve our company, how we, how we can work together uh, better, and also, the, and also do some team building. And for example, uh, this last year we went to Ireland. It was an amazing experience. And, you know, it happens that maybe it, 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 it happened to you also at Couchsurfing. When you're working with remote people and you met in person, it's like, it's like an amazing experience because... Uh, for example, in my personal experience, when I, when I met my employees, I hugged them. I gave them, I gave them a huge hug. And this is something that it, it might seem crazy for you. Imagine that you go to your office tomorrow and you you're give a hug, yes, your boss. It's like, it's like crazy. But it is something that happens when you're always working remote and you see people face to face in person. That's awesome. Uh, at, when you were at, at Couch Surf and uh, how do you perceive this type of interaction? There were, I don't know, I'm not clueless, but uh, there were some, some kind of gatherings or, or of, of the sort. Um. So when I started, it was in San Francisco. We were all living together in a house. Okay. Then we ended up moving remote, and uh, we created, in a way, some sort of offices or hubs. So I remember at some point that there was one in Thailand, one in Malaysia, that's where I was, and another one in Bali. And whenever we had visa runs, we used to rotate. <laughs> so we kept meeting. But during the office time, we used to have satellite uh, international hubs. So we created one in Thailand in the mountains, or they had one in uh, Costa Rica. And uh, that was an opportunity for people to, to gather together for some months and work together in the same space. Yeah. So that was something that we did. And uh, it was a similar experience to you, is that whenever you see the people that you're working together with, then uh, to create some sort of like link that you didn't have probably before, and that's stronger than um, maybe meeting every day face to face and having a coffee or not even that's in awesome. an office. Maybe we are uncovering one of the unintended effects of working remotely. Uh, you <laughs> cherish your personal face to face relationship a little bit more when you actually happen. And you win loyalty. Yeah. And that's amazing as well because people are more engaged and, and, and want to work even more with you. They participate more, and uh, so loyalty and engagement, it's a boost, definitely. And uh, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, when you actually create that engagement, and uh, that leads me to my next, my next question is, uh, how do you deal with performance? Because, yeah, I mean, you, you can be as cool as you can be, and, and all these gatherings are super good, and in, from the personal, emotional perspective are a boost. Uh, but how do you deal with performance with people all over the place? 
Um, sure thing. That's how it started in the beginning with me. Um, I remember I had a, a lot of meetings with Casey, and I was not grasping the concept of those meetings. So he was asking me a lot of questions regarding HR, regarding recruitment, and um, I remember that he was taking notes like in very graphic way. Um, Casey Fenton, by the way, is the founder of Couchsurfing, and. Um, he was making graphs of what I was saying, and he was asking me, I don't know, funny questions, and I didn't understand. And once we went remote, I understood, I understood the whole concept. Yeah. Um, it's extremely important when going remote to have a very organized structure of deliverables, of expectations, and if and how the process are defined are going to help you express what is the objective and the outcome. So in terms of recruitment, I had very strict goals in a way, so I needed to hire one role, and for this, I was going to revise the whole pipeline to 100 people. Yeah. Um, I would be paid, probably not by time, but by issue or by CV, for instance. Out of those, I needed to define five people for interviews, and I would have to schedule all the interviews uh, with four members of the team. And then I had a, a wrap-up meeting with all the interviewers and myself to decide on that person, and then, out of the five, take a conclusion on one. And this would be extremely structured, yeah. so that there would be no confusion about if and what should be paid or not. And um, for a remote team, it's very important to have, not necessarily that structure, but to be structured, so that um, expectations are very well defined, and then there is no mistakes in terms of understanding. Yeah. That's good. And let's, in the same line of thought, from the more operational point of view, how do you measure performance uh, from a developer? I mean, how, how do you actually track down a developer's work uh, that is not working side by side with you? Well, um, as we're a developer, a development consultancy, uh, it is easy to, to, to see how our, how our employees are performing because you have the actual work that they are producing available to you to review it any time. This is an asynchronous process. They produce the work in form of code. They are coding. And then you can review how they are writing this code, if, it, if it's uh, of good quality. But we are not only evaluating the code that our, that our developers are, are producing. We also like to, evalu to evaluate their communication skills and how do they communicate things to our clients. And this is why, for example, we make a lot of uh, check-ins with our clients to discuss how our developers are working with them, how is the communication, if they are meeting their expectations. And this is something that uh, it may not happen in non-remote companies. Yes, uh, you always speak with your clients, but we are very obsessed about uh, speaking with our clients, having their, their, their feedback to our workers, because it's the only way that we can have to really assess that the, work, that the work that our workers are performing is uh, good and is of excellent quality. And I think that this is a, a great advantage of working that way because the, our clients at least appreciate it a lot. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Uh, I don't know if you know, probably, probably you know, uh, the company called People to Labs. And this was, a, when I met them, this was the first time I, I've seen people um, coding in the same computer, one from the coding company and the other one from the customer, and say, 
Is, is that even possible? So it was that the customer was there all the time. It was present. It was checking all those points. It was double checking everything. It was actually working together with the company, developing whatever piece of software. And they say, this is the magic. This is the, where it happens. This control loop is the one that is actually ensuring that we can deliver. And I, I find out that super awesome. Uh, I, I think that smaller companies like Marsbase implementing these type of, of things is, is, is a good sign of, of performance, I guess. Uh, so let, let me jump into, into a, a more tricky part of this interview, which is uh, training. How do you train people that uh, are you know, all over the planet and how do you engage with them in a, in a formal way of training, so to speak? What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Obviously, you hired skilled people already. However, it's true that you need to bring them up to the company structure and ways of working and yeah. uh, even train them on whatever they need. Um, if they are remote and they cannot move to the location, then probably it would do um, VC sessions, for instance. Okay. So in Shipstead, for instance, we have been holding a lot of uh, video conferences and whenever people was not able to move or time-wise didn't make any sense. And, um, or otherwise bring everybody together to a training session somewhere and then do that. Okay. But to be honest, in Couchsurfing, we didn't have that many issues. Um, so we had some uh, ad hoc uh, video conference trainings, but it was not um, as if we needed to bring up to speed to one person on hiring, for instance. Everybody came from hiring already. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you sort of self-train yourself to keep up the pace or some, something like that. In a way, Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. How about in, in Marsbase? How do you deal with training? Well, for us, this is a tough question because we're a small team and we are a distributed team. And what happens is that uh, we cannot have uh, a person responsible to do the whole mentoring and this is one of the reasons why, for example, at MassBase, we don't work with, with junior developers. We would like to do it because it's one great way to, to give back to the community, you know, like being able to hire junior developers and train them. But uh, we have tried in the past, and it, haven't, it, it hasn't worked. Why? Because I really believe that uh, in order to train junior people, um, doing it in a remote way without having a person fully dedicated to the mother is very difficult. And this is something that we cannot do at the moment. But what we do is, is that as we are in a tech company and tech evolves so fast, there are lots of, of new technologies, new frameworks that they are appearing and that we want our employees to, to learn. And this is also training. What we do is to follow the same methodology that we do with work. What you do is to provide them with the right tools, for example, online courses that we know that have proven to be useful, and we give them also uh, free time for them to work on, this, on, this, on these courses. So they are doing the training sessions in an independent way, but this is the way that we expect them to work also uh, with the work for, for, for our clients. So it's the same as working, but working for self-training, and it has worked pretty well to us. Once again, leading by example. I like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to take the last, the last few minutes of this uh, first chat talking about the future, uh, doing a little bit of foresight. Where do you see uh, the whole labor market is heading 
in terms of you know, hiring and managing remote teams? Where do you see this in 10 years? How do you see the market evolving? I know there's a new trend, which I learned about it short ago, and I find it impressive, and it's like a next tweak of remote working, which is, um, it seems that in the US at least, and in the future, we're going to tend to work for projects and to work to decide the amount of uh, days we want to work per year. So we could perfectly decide that we want to work four hours a day uh, on a project for 100 days a year, for instance. Okay. And, and then you take by project. So what I'm seeing is um, getting um, compartments of projects. Uh, so the work is going to be divided in uh, small boxes, so to say, so that you can do that in different times and different places, and um, just delivering. So very much delivery-based, and um, I wouldn't say contracting necessarily, but uh, I think that's the tendency to work for project. Well, that's, that's a good, a good um, wishful thinking, I guess. How many developers are in the room? You please raise your hand. No developers? I cannot believe this. One, two, three, okay. four, five. Okay, there you are. There we're asleep. Um, well, I guess for developers it's a little bit closer yeah, because you exactly. already, I, already are, by definition, kind of decentralized yourself from the whole labor market. Talking about tech, though, huh? Yeah, yes, of course. I mean, I cannot imagine it. Well, I actually can. A doctor working remotely, that actually works. Um, and how about you, Xavier? Where, where do you see this, this labor market going forward, moving forward? Well, what's, what's, I have experienced in the last years is that all the technology and all the tools have evolved a lot. For example, five years, five years ago, uh, we didn't have a Slack, which is a chat communication tool that we're using at our company every day. And this has eaten a lot the communication between our team. And we are seeing that there are more and more and more tools that we will be able to use to first test our candidates better and, and make our hiring process better, uh, like, for example, um, using techniques of, of, of machine learning based on, based on, on, on the part of, of, of recruitment. But also, you know, day-to-day -day management, there are tools that allows you nowadays to uh, not only share your screen, but share your code, ed your code editor. So you can be coding together with another person with any friction, like if you were in the same extra room, and this is something that is amazing. It's happening now. We are using it at Mars Base. And I can only imagine what will happen in future with the tools that, that we will have. It's just a matter of um, trying to keep on the, on, the, on the loop and not being scared about, about new technologies. I wanted to add something else. And I wanted to say, 10 years ago, I was working remotely, traveling around the world for CaptureFing. And I did that for almost three years. And that was thanks to technology, and I'm not a tech person, even though I was working for a tech company. So I needed a tech company with a broad mind to be able to do that. But in those 10 years, uh, it has evolved so much that actually so many other profiles are being able to work remote at the moment. Yeah. So the future as well, it is being open to different areas of work and sectors, not necessarily only tech. Awesome. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Laura. We are Mars-based, 
an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?